Okay, we're in lesson 15 today. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're, we're going to look at the issue of idolatry. However, you're saying, well, this is still part of the discussion concerning freedom and liberty and the, the rights that we have in giving up of our rights for someone else. Because idolatry fits in there. Now, we're going to talk again next week. We're going to wrap it up next week. We're going to look at the first half of chapter 10 this week, and then we'll look at the second half of chapter 10 next week. We're going to see that he's going to finish it up, the whole discussion about our freedom issue. So he has spent quite a bit of time talking about this. Because this is a very big issue, and it is an issue that really is central to the heart of Christianity. And that is the issue of selflessness, of putting others before yourself. Because our culture says that you need to what? Think about yourself. You don't think about yourself, who's going to think about you? And and that's our culture. You know, we're not going to change our culture because only Christ can change the culture. What we can do is our focus has to be within the church. And the church needs to be a place with people who aren't out for themselves, but people who are thinking about others within the church and putting others before themselves. And that's been the whole argument here that Paul's been talking about. He talked about it first in reference to the issue of meat offered to idols. Then he's talked about it concerning his personal example of, of his ministry, of how he put others before himself. Now he's going to get into a central issue that is really at the heart of the whole issue of you wanting to do your own thing, and that's idolatry. Now let me just stop for a moment, because when we think of idolatry... What do you think of when you think of idolatry? Idols. What's an idol? Anybody? Okay, a graven image. Okay. When you think of an idol in our in our world today, what do you think of? Okay, Tim says a rock star. Okay, that could be an idol. All right, that's just good. In fact, I don't know. You know, there's a group out in 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 Las Vegas that every time there's a supposed this is actual. This is fact. Every time there's a, a, a supposed sighting of Elvis, they have a ritual. Isn't that interesting? Okay. So, yeah. In, in fact, I remember there was a lady. Uh, I was in her house, and she had one of those black velvet Elvises. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was big. And then she had the black light to illuminate it. Because her... Her thing was Elvis. So, yeah, rock stars can become our idols as well. Okay. Well, all right. So, when you think about an idol, not just what, what, what do you commonly think of as far as an idol? A statue or something. Okay. All right. Or, or some sort of thing that you see on, you know, in, in the Eastern world or whatever. Or even in, there are idols in, in South America and so forth. Okay. But you know what? We have our idols here in, in America as well. Now, Tim mentioned rock stars, but an idol, let me tell you what an idol is. An idol is anything that is a substitute for God. An idol is anything that is a substitute for God. So, let me give you some examples. Your idol could be your hobby. So, for instance, uh, there was a gentleman by the name who wrote a great book called Jerry Bridges, wrote The Pursuit of Holiness. In it, he talked about that he loved tennis. And he is ten- an avid tennis person. 
But then he realized that tennis became his idol. Tennis became his idol so much so that it was beginning to be a substitute for God in his life. It was his idol. So tennis to him was an idol. So for some people, let's say for instance in our area, hunting could be an idol. Uh, I, I don't want to, I mean, you, you probably have met people who live, breathe, and eat, and sleep in camo. Do, do you know what I mean? They're, they're just, they're, it, the deer, you know, that's their idol, or the turkey. For others, you know what, ladies, we laugh at that, but your children could be your idol. Where your whole focus is your children. Now, there, there's a correct way. There, now, you have to understand your focus should be your children. But there, remember, I told you there's a line you can cross where it's no longer the right focus, but becomes a wrong focus. Because we're, it's, you know what I'm saying, we're, you're substituting that for God in your life. For some people, it's power. For some people, it's sex. Some people, it's money. See, idolatry is anything that you are living for that just replaces God. Now you say, now what does that have to do with freedom? What does that have to do with with um, me giving up my rights? Well, here's the thing. Paul is bringing this discussion of idolatry into this whole issue of freedom and giving up of your rights because a lot of times what you feel is your right to do. There's an idol there. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of times when you're saying, I'm going to continue to do this, no matter what the effect is on anybody else, it doesn't really matter, I've got the right to do this, what you're talking about doing becomes your idol. Because that's more important to you than the needs of someone else. You understand what I'm saying? That becomes more important to you than the needs of others around you, than the needs of of someone in the church or whatever. It's, it, you know, it, it doesn't really matter what they think. I'm going to do my thing. That thing has become an idol in your life. So it's only natural that Paul launches into this discussion concerning idolatry. So let's look. We're in chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 1 through 22 today. We've got a lot to cover. And so we're going to, we're going to work our way through this. First of all, I want you to notice that Paul's going to give the example of Israel. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But for most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So let's look at the example. First of all, here's the privileges. There were certain privileges that were given to Israel. First of all, God provided guidance to Israel through the Holy Spirit with the pillar of cloud. Remember from the Old Testament, the pillar of cloud? The Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God. The pillar of cloud during the day and the pillar of fire at night, that was the Holy Spirit. And he provided guidance. Because remember, if you read through the Old Testament there, if you read through Exodus, 
and, and, and those first five books there, especially those last four books, wherever the cloud went, where did they go? They followed the cloud. The cloud gave them guidance. So that was a privilege they had. God provided guidance to Israel through the Holy Spirit with the cloud. Now, here's the point. God brought Israel to salvation through the Red Sea. The next thing I want you to see there is remember, they had to pass through the Red Sea to be saved from who? The Egyptians, especially Pharaoh's army. So God, that was a privilege. He gave them salvation. He had them pass through the sea. And then when you look at verses 3 through 4, here's the other point I want you to see. God provided for their needs. God provided for their needs. Now let's just stop for a moment. As a believer, guidance, salvation, and needs being met. Are those things that we benefit from? God gives us guidance through the Holy Spirit. God has allowed us to pass through to salvation because of the cross. And then God meets our daily needs. Now, let me just stop for a moment because now Paul's going to tell us something that happened with Israel. And we see it in verse 5. And here's the point I want you to see. God still punished Israel for their rebellion. Look at what he says there, verse 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. He's referring back to the fact of their rebellion against God when he brought them out of Egypt, and they're murmuring, they're complaining, their rebellion. In fact, when God told them to go into Israel and take Palestine, they refused because they were scared of the giants and everything. And so God said, okay, fine, you're going to wander around the wilderness for 40 years until your generation dies off. And so, literally, they died off wandering around the wilderness until 40 years were over. And so God still punished them. Now notice, he gave them benefits. He gave them guidance. He gave them salvation. He met their needs. But that did that keep him from punishing them for their wrongdoing? No. Now, here's the final point Paul makes here. And here's, the, here's what he's saying. These things concerning Israel serve as our example. These things concerning Israel serve as our example. What do you mean example here, George? Yeah, I grasp the point of the provision. I grasp the point of salvation. I grasp the point of God's guidance to the Holy Spirit. What, what example do I need to see here? He punishes sin. See, here's what happens. We can enter into a mindset that thinks just because Jesus went to a cross and died for our sins, and that by faith I've accepted that into my life, I can now do whatever I want to do. Is that true? No. Here's the thing. Salvation does not exempt you from punishment. Does everybody understand me? Salvation does not exempt you from punishment. But you know what? That's what we communicate to people. We communicate to people, all you got to do is come to Jesus, pray a prayer, and then you can do whatever you want to do. You're forgiven. In fact, have you seen the, the bumper stickers? I hate this bumper sticker. Every time I see it, I wish I had a can of spray paint to just spray their bumper. That's not a good Christian thing to do either, okay? No. But here's what I want to do. 
It's Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Now, that's a quaint little cute thing for Christians to put on their bumper. But think about what that communicates. That communicates a message there. What's the message it's communicating? Anybody? Okay, yeah, we can sin and keep sinning, and, and it doesn't matter. And, and do you see my point? And so when the rest of the world looks at that, they say, well, you know, just a bunch of hypocrites. But here's the point that Paul's trying to make to us here. He's saying Israel serves as our example. So listen, you really want to see how God is? Read through the book of Exodus. Read through Leviticus. Now, let me just warn you, breeze through Leviticus. You'll get bogged down there. Read through the book of Numbers. Read through the Deuteronomy and you will see that God takes sin very seriously in the lives of his people. And he will deal with them. And so he's, he's trying to make a point here. And he said, now what has this got to do with the issue of freedom? What's this got to do? Well, we're, we're going to work our way through here because here's the point. A lot of times when we say we have freedom to do something, when I'm putting myself before someone else and what I'm doing, what is it? Sin. And is God going to deal with that? Yes, he is. So let's go on now. Here's the point I want you to see. Let's look at the warnings. He's going to warn against certain behaviors that the Corinthians felt, the Corinthian church felt, was okay. That they could engage in without any problems. Okay? That they had freedom. Because now they've been forgiven. They've got freedom in Jesus. They can do whatever. So look with me at verse 7 through 13. Look at what he says. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by certains. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Okay, let's look at the warnings here. First of all, he's going to warn against certain behaviors. The first one he warns against is this. We are not to become idolaters as they did with the golden calf. So notice when he talks there and he says this, the people sat down and ate and drank and rose up to play. He's talking about what happened when Moses was up on the mountain, and you know, when they had Aaron fashion the golden calf, and when they had the fashion of the golden, golden calf with fashion, and they worshipped that they had this big, huge party. Now, God's not against partying. What God's against, though, is the worship of something else besides Him. And so He's warning against you and I not becoming idolaters, where we put things be- things before God in our life. 
where they, be, they receive unnatural focus in our life. And it can be anything. You know, in fact, here's the thing. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands for this, but I want you to think about it. Answer this question in your mind. Are you an idolater? Answer that in your mind. Now, here's the, here's the answer. You should have said yes. Now, some of you are going to have a hard time with that yes, because you're thinking, oh, no, I'm not an idolater. Yeah, you are. Remember what I said. It's something that you're substituting for God. There is something in every one of our lives that has become our focus that replaces God. So, for instance, it could be friends. What do you mean, friends? Well, who do you normally contact first when you're going through a problem? God or your friends? What level is God on the progression line down the line of people that you talk to when you're in the midst of a problem? See the first one or the last one after everything else doesn't work out? There's an idol there. Do you see what I'm saying? Every one of us, in some form or another, are idolaters. We have placed things before our our own selves. For some, let's be be honest, it could be the church is an idol. You say, what do you mean? Haven't you met people that their whole focus is the church? Almost to an unscriptural way of thinking? That it's almost consuming to them, the church. In fact, they're, they're more wrapped up in the church than they are in the needs of others around them within the church. Have you ever met people like that? That usually happens whenever you see a church fight happen. There's an idol there. See, he's warning us against idolatry. So we've got to be aware of that behavior. Here's the other behavior. We are to avoid sexual immorality which brought about their deaths. You know, we live in a, a sexually free society. Everybody recognize that? We are bombarded with sensual things everywhere. Now, here's the point. We live in that kind of culture. But the question is what you choose to do with it. Now, our culture says, do whatever you want to do with it. It's okay. What the Bible tells you, and here he's stressing it here, and he gives gives an, an extreme example of thousands dying under God's judgment. There is a consequence for engaging in sexual immorality, period. It is not just a private thing. It's not just two people meeting in the night or whatever and doing their own thing. It devastates people. In fact, Proverbs, remember we went through Proverbs? Sexual immorality affects who? The person. Not just the person, but it affects others around the person. And so, he's warning against us getting involved in sexual immorality. Okay, let's go on now. He talks about concerning Christ. We are not to question the purpose and plan of God as they did. Think about them. When they were in the desert, the whole time they were there, they were just murmuring and questioning, God, why why you got us out here in the desert? You're just out here to kill us. And they were just complaining against God, and God got angry with them, and what did he do? 
He destroyed them. He judged them. See, here's the thing. Sometimes the problem is, is that you... Now, you say, what's the problem with questioning? It's not a problem so much with questioning. It's the problem where you... It's an attitude where you know better than God. You understand what I'm saying? Because you can have a type of questioning where you don't understand what's going on and you want to understand. But these folks were not just wanting... They didn't want to understand. They wanted to complain and say they knew better. And God judged them. That's called testing. Let's go on. We are not to rebel against the leadership of God as they did. They rebelled against God's leadership. Do you remember the story of Korah? He comes and says, who are you to do all this? And so Moses says, okay, you'll get you and your followers. And they come with these golden censers and, and, and so forth. And God judged them and they were all burned up because they challenged the way God had set things up. We're not to do that. So he warns against that. Here's one. And the issue here with, with, the, with the rebelling is the issue of complaining. Because look at verse 10. It says it this way. Nor complain. The issue is complaining. Because when you talk about complaining again, just like with the issue of the wrong type of questioning, it's the attitude that's behind it that says you know better than God. Okay? Now, here's, here's what he says. Verse 11. Their example served as a warning concerning the God who dealt with them. Look at what he says here, verse 11. Now, all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So, these things were written to really encourage you, to help you to understand. They were encouraged, they were written to instruct you. They are examples to you. And the biggest example they are to you is, is of the God you serve. So, when you look at these, these behaviors that he's warning against, and you look at what God judged and how he judged him, what can you say about God and his concept of sin? Yeah, he hates it. Is he just going to overlook it? No. Okay, let's stop for a moment. Let's get a practical question here. If he hates it, and he's, and he's not going to overlook it, and I, how many of you would agree the passage also talks about that he judges it? What are the implications of that for us? Okay, Tim says don't do it, okay? What, what, what are the implications for us? We need to take sin in our life seriously. Now, do we take sin in our life seriously? Let's be honest. No. Why don't we take sin seriously? Okay, so culture may be part of it. That's that's true, uh, Bruce, but not completely. So yeah, so the culture has influenced the church. All right, I, I would agree with that point. Okay. Okay, we don't take God seriously is what Sherry is saying. Okay, that's a big one right there. How about remember their privileges? They had guidance. They had salvation. They had provision. God provided for their needs. And God did that throughout their rebellion all the way to the time that they entered into the, to the Holy Land. Okay? Could it be that you, you get to the place where 
you don't take it seriously because God's still doing those three things for you. You know what I'm saying? He's still meeting your needs. He's still trying to guide you. He's giving you salvation. And especially in our circle of churches where we believe in eternal security, you can, you can adopt an attitude that says, well, you know, I'll just ask for forgiveness later. How many of you have heard that kind of attitude? Maybe you've expressed that kind of attitude. I'll just ask for forgiveness later. Is that taking sin seriously? Is that taking God seriously about dealing with sin? No. I think you're right, Bruce. It is. I don't think we've communicated. Well, how many of you remember hearing a term called holiness? I'm talking about holiness, okay? I want you to think back. How long ago did you hear that kind of message about holiness? I mentioned it a few times every once in a while here, but forget me for a moment. How many years back do you remember hearing about holiness? I heard murmuring. Okay, Brad says 25. Mike, you raised your hand. Okay. Or legalism. We went from one extreme to the other. Do you hear what Mike said? We went from one extreme to the other because... Probably, Brad said, probably, would you say 25 years ago, 20 years ago? Was a big emphasis? Even 30 years ago? Yeah, it boils down to a relationship. However, you got, but I can enter into a, re- a relationship with the wrong thinking about God. Yes, that's true, Mike. But remember, but here's what I'm saying. If you're conditioned in your thinking, alright, let me give you an example. We read through our, what were you going to say, Joe? Yeah, now Mike's talking a balanced approach to the to the relationship. You're saying that it's possible for somebody to take that to the go from one extreme to the other. He's going to continue loving us no matter what. That's the extreme of the balance. That's true. Here, here's what I'm saying. First of all, let me just finish what Mike's saying. Yes, the relationship, being in his word, you should be pursuing holiness out of that, but if you're entering into it with a wrong mindset, see Mike, you're entering into it with the right mindset. But if I'm entering into it, see, I can go to the extreme of what Joy was saying, where he's just my buddy. And yeah, he's displeased with my sin, because we've seen parents who are like that, who, who don't deal with their children, and they say, oh, little Timmy, you need to stop that. And he's a terror, you know. And he knows that mommy loves him, but mommy's not really going to, you know, if he's pitching a fit and wanting everything in Walmart, you know, he knows that she's just going to buy it for him. And see, what's going on there is that there's a mindset there that Timmy has where he understands, has a mindset about his parent. Well, the parent's helping it too. But you can develop a mindset when you have a relationship with God where you can think like what Joy's saying, where, oh yeah, he tells me I'm not to do this, but he did tell me I'm forgiven. And what we need to get to is the mindset that, that Mike's talking about where I read the word and he exposes to me what's wrong and I do it. Yes, that's exactly right. Love is one component of a many facet area of who God is. But all we think about is love and we think about forgiveness. But God is also a God who judges. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, I would encourage you to read through the New Testament and write down how many times the verses where he talks about God chastising or judging Christians for their sins. You'll be shocked how many times there are references to that. In fact, every epistle talks about it. 
every epistle talks about that we need to take sin seriously in our lives because God's going to judge us. He's going to deal with us. Now, when I say judge, immediately somebody says, well, he's not going to cast me into hell. No, no. No, he doesn't have to cast you into hell. But he can discipline you. Now, wait a minute. I just want to get back to your point. Lori, you were saying God's judgment was immediate then. What we have is the, the record of his immediate responses. I would say, though, that their life was just like our life where they didn't see God dropping the hammer on everything. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't judging them. Because here's my point. God is judging you for your sins, whether you realize it or not. See, here's the thing. I've heard Henry Blackaby say this. That a lot that we, quote, blame Satan for. Oh, Satan's just getting me. You understand? It's just Satan attacking me. A lot of what we, Henry's saying, a lot of what we say Satan is attacking me may not be Satan. It may be the judging hand of God in our life concerning sin in our life. See, here's, here's the thing. There's a law of sin that you and I need to grasp. When you sin, there are always going to be what? Consequences. I would add to that law, when you sin, there's always going to be a what? A judgment. You're going to have to pay a price for that sin. Let's go on then. So here's the warning. He keeps warning us here. The purpose was to serve as an example. We're to guard our hearts against the thought that we are different. Look at at verse 4. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Here's the dangerous trap for you and I in all of this. When you're talking about the issue of freedom and that you have the right to do this, at the heart of it is what? Selfishness and what? Pride. And that pride says, I'm exempt from the problems that can come from this. I'm different. And the problem, here's the thing, guys. Are you different? No, you're not. You're not. And so here's the point. So we've got to guard our hearts against the thought that we're different. Here's the other thing. Here's the point. When you look at verse 13, everybody knows verse 13. Temptation is common. Here's what he's going to add to. You've got to understand, you've got to deal with that issue of pride in your life because temptation is what? common to everyone. We are all faced with the same temptations. There are no new temptations in this world. You understand? Every, every, the temptations are the same. In fact, John lists them as what? The pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the cravings of your flesh. You know what I'm saying? All of those things are temptations. We're tempted by the same thing. So it's common to everyone. But here's the point. He's going to tell you, God is faithful to provide a way, to provide an escape out of temptation. God's going to be faithful to you to provide you a way with getting out of that temptation. But you've got to look for it. Problem is, a lot of us don't look for it. Problem is, a lot of us are looking for the temptation. We're looking for the temptation. Okay, We're looking for it. But God is faithful. He'll provide. We will not be tempted beyond what we can handle. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I can't, I, why is God allowing this to happen? I just can't handle it. Listen, if, if you can't handle it. 
But you've got to make the choice about handling it. You can't handle it. Okay? Now, let's go on. Those are the warnings. Here's the application. Look with me at verse 14 through 22. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are they not those who ate of the sacrifices of partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or what is offered to an idol is anything? Rather, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So here's the application. Number one, we're to flee from idolatry. Remember I told you that in some way or another, every one of us here is worshiping an idol in our lives. Now, you may not be aware of it, but there is something... Now, let me just stop from you. You say, well, well, how do I become aware of it? You ask God to reveal what the idols are in your life? Now, before you pray that prayer, listen to me. You've got to be serious about dealing with it. If you go to Him and you say, Lord, I am serious about putting you first in my life, You need to reveal to me the idols in my heart. You've got to be serious about that because he will. If you're serious, he's going to show them to you and you may not like what he shows you. You understand what I'm saying? You may not like what he shows you because you may ha- it may have a grip in your life that you don't realize and you don't want to give it up. Or some it might be ambition. You, you, you don't... I mean... If, you let the Holy Spirit, because for every one of us, our idols are different. The idols in my life are different than the idols in your life. And God is going to show them to you, but you've got to be serious about it, so you pray about it. So you're to flee from it. Now, Paul appeals to his readers as those having understanding. So here's the thing. Even as I'm telling you about it, as you ask God to expose those idols in your life and you flee from them, I'm talking to you as, as people who have understanding. You need to have understanding that you've got to deal with this stuff in your life. That's what he's saying here. I'm, I'm, he's not belittling them. He is saying to them, guys, you're smart. Be aware. Deal with it. So he goes on. By partaking in communion, we identify ourselves with Christ's sacrifice. When, okay, so he's going to give an example here of communion. So when we partake in the Lord's table, we identify ourselves with Christ's sacrifice, with the cross. He then goes on and makes the application of the Jew. For instance, the Jew is identified with the sacrifice that was made on the altar. Now he goes on, by eating meat offered to idols, they were identifying themselves with demons. So here he's going to go back to his original argument now. Back to the argument back in chapter 9 about meat offered to idols. He's saying an idol isn't anything, but when you eat of that, you're identifying yourself with that activity. 
with that temple or with whatever is going on there. Here, here's the application. You may have freedom in Jesus to do something, but when you engage in that activity, you are identifying yourself with that activity. Do you understand? That's what he's talking about here. You understand? When you engage in that activity, you are identifying yourself with that activity. So that's what he's saying here. So let's go on. A Christian cannot participate in both worlds. You can't participate in the world and participate in Christ as well. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't participate in both is what he's saying here. You need to live separate lives. That's the true definition of holiness. Remember Mike said earlier when he talked about, heard about holiness, it was in reference to legalism. About don't, don't do this, don't do that. And it was an extreme of separation where we tried to regulate our separation. But what we're talking about when we talk about separate, about living a separate life, is that we live with different attitudes and a mindset than the way the rest of the world operates. So you can't exist in both, is what he's saying here. You can't participate in both worlds. So then here's the thing. To do so would provoke the anger of God towards us. So you want to be a fence sitter? Straddling the fence, I want to do this, but I want to have my Christian life. Remember I talked to you last time about how we compartmentalize our lives. We've got our little our religious drawer over here. We've got our work drawer over here. We've got our family drawer here. We've got our drawer who we are by ourselves. And we want to compartmentalize our lives, but we can't do that. You've got to think in terms of your whole life being with Christ. And when I compartmentalize my life, I'm provoking Him. You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to provoke God to anger. Okay. Next week we're going to look at Freedom with limits. We're going to talk about the limits on the freedom we have as we wrap up chapter 10. And so we want to make mention of that. Let's close our time in prayer and get ready.